Okay, so what we want to talk about today, I'm not going to talk about me, but we're going to talk about the Word of God. That's the thing that counts. But, you know, I can ask a question. I can say, what is it that you are seeing? And, you know, people can say, oh, we've seen this, we've seen that, we've seen the other thing. But really, it boils down to what is it you are looking at? That's what you see. It's where your eyes are focused. So... We've got to turn our eyes to that place. Right, we're going. Uh, So what is it we see? I'll just repeat that again. It's what we look at. So I'm going to challenge what it is that we focus on today. What is it we see as we make our way through this life? And we are on a a journey through this life. This life is just a a small part of eternity when, when you think of it. And... Yet, what we do now is so important for what happens in the future. So, I want to challenge, what is it that we see? What is it that we're looking at? So, let's look at some issues that uh, people faced in the Bible, and let's see how they reacted. Let's see how God responded. And I'm hoping that by the end of this, we're going to learn to focus on what God is doing. You know, it tells us in Hebrews 12... Verse 2, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And we've got to learn to look to see what Jesus is doing and saying, and how do we fix our eyes on him? He's the word, isn't he? He's the living word. So when we get into the word, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And um, 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, We have everything now that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how do we get knowledge? By study. We study the Word. We study Jesus. We watch Him. We see what it is that He's doing. So we'll discuss how we do that um, in maybe some more detail. I'll give some examples. But let's just have a look. Let's go to... um, 2 Chronicles 20. Let's have a look at what happened in the Old Testament, and then we'll have a look at what what happens in the New Testament as people focus their eyes on Jesus. Right. So 2 Chronicles 20, and verse 1 says, The Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them the Meunites, quite a, a lot of these ites, and maybe the Tikbites as well, it doesn't say that, the, came against Jehoshaphat to do battle. It was told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. It says, then Jehoshaphat feared, verse 3, and set himself determinedly as his need, to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast in all Judah. It's worth reading the whole story, but we won't do that now. So they get before the Lord, and then Joshua speaks to um, the Lord and tells them how he's given them the land and how there's a covenant. He knows his covenant. And he says, in verse 10, he says, Now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Israel of Egypt, 
and whom they uh, turned from and did not destroy. Behold, they will reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Why do we need to know the word of God? Because we need to know who we are, what we are, what we have, what God has given us, what we can stand on, what we um, hold as our own, when to resist the enemy. You know, it says in James 4 verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We need to know what is ours. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says that God has given us every blessing there is in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. Every blessing is yours. So you can take hold of a blessing, stand on it, hold it tight, and believe and fight for that blessing to manifest. And so here's Jehoshaphat. He knows the land was given to them. He, he, he knows they, they, were, they did not destroy these very people that are coming against him now. And he says this to God. And look at verse 12. He says, O oh, our God, will you not exercise judgment upon them? We have no might to stand against this great company against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What is he looking at? He's looking at what God has done, what God has promised them, and he's looking at God for the answers. So can you imagine, like in this life, maybe a whole lot of stuff goes wrong. Maybe there's doctor's reports coming in. Maybe there's uh, bank manager's reports coming in. Maybe there's creditors chasing you, debtors. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe something's happened to the family. Maybe there's something gone wrong with children. Maybe a, a son has gone astray and he's, he's, he's uh, captured into stuff that he doesn't need to be. Maybe he's in drugs. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And all these things just build up and you eventually just almost get to a place, or maybe it is a place, where you say, I just can't take this anymore. It's just too hard, Lord. That's when you look to God. So let's just see what happens. So Joshua says, God, we can't do anything. We can't fight these guys. There's too many. There's just too much against us. What can we do? We look to you. He did the right thing. He looked to God. Okay? And then it says, the Spirit of the Lord came on this, uh, one of the Levites, and he said in verse 15, Hearken, Judah, um, the Lord says this to you, Be not afraid or dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The battle is the Lord's. The battle in your life. When, when you face these circumstances, fix your eyes on him. He's the captain of the Lord's host, and the battle is his. And it's just amazing uh, what happened, because um, they, they got singers and worshippers together, and uh, we'll go down the page to verse 21. So the king now is leading them in this. It says, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers to sing the Lord and praise him in their holy priestly garments as they went before the army. I mean, does this sound like a logical thing to do? We, guys, we're going out to battle tomorrow. We want you to bring your harps, your guitars, your trumpets, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship God, and, 
uh, God is going to fight the battle. I mean, it sounds like to the natural mind, this is foolishness. To the natural mind, when you're facing difficulty on a par like this, even if it's life or death stuff, how are you going to face it? Harps, lyres, guitars. It's going to be worship, thanksgiving. It's going to be the name of Jesus. It's going to be pressing into God, looking to what He's doing, getting a hold of the Word, proclaiming the Word as you go out against your enemy. And look what it says in verse 22. It says, When they began to sing and to praise the Lord, uh, sorry, and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they self-slaughtered. I mean, these guys, they just wiped each other other out. The one um, group killed the other group, and then when they all killed the other groups, then they killed themselves. And Israel came and just found bodies everywhere. It says, Suspecting betrayal, verse 23, the men of Ammon and Moab rose against those of Mount Seir, utterly destroying them. And when they had made an end to the men of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. This is what happens. Things just that seem impossible just collapse and change in front of you. I remember a few years ago, um, we were in difficulty. There was, we were in South Africa and there was quite a hardship here. It was after the Rubicon speech. And we were praying. We had um, another couple who were in the same situation. They had... Um, just had um, a child and they'd gone to Westville Hospital and there'd been complications. Anyway, they'd run up this huge bill. So they were deep in debt. It was like, you know, almost like a a mortgage or a bond on a house. It was that big. And um, we were in debt. We'd uh, we'd, uh, come to the end of a a carpet lane company that we'd been working and we'd decide to close it down. And so we had stock, but we had so many bills to pay. It was just horrible. And we were praying in tongues, in the Spirit, saying, God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And not that we were clever, but unknowingly, we'd done exactly what King Jehoshaphat had done. We'd looked to the Lord in the, um, in the face of all these debts and all these difficulties. And we prayed in tongues. And then... There used to be an advert in South Africa where there was a big strong man and he had this great big hammer and he ran at a wall and on top of the wall was written cancer and he beat the wall down. So this was on TV and you know, the wall would fall and the advert was cancer can be beaten. Anyway, um, the, the other man's wife who was with us saw this strong guy running with a hammer and she thought, oh no, God is furious with us. He's coming to kill us. This was the hammer man coming to do the job. But he ran right past us and he hit a wall behind us, a big wall. And on top of that wall was written debt. Now does this seem natural? It seems like make-believe. Anyway, the wall smashed and we, we felt the release in our spirits. It's just lovely when you pray in the spirit and you push and you push and you push and the next minute, it's just like there's liberty and freedom. It's gone. So we went home. We were very happy. We thought, oh, that was wonderful. Not knowing what's going to happen now. So we did the work in the spirit. We looked to the Lord. And about a week later, 
Um, I'm sitting in my office doing nothing because things are so quiet. Um, there's no work. And um, the phone rings. And I get a phone call from a man who works at Wayne Rubber. And Wayne Rubber used to make footwear, going back years. They were out there by the old airport out there in Mabeni. And he says, oh, we've closed down our footwear division and we've got, I think he said, 32,000 pairs of um, shoes. He said, we just want to clear them out. Will you take them? I heard my mouth say, yeah, I'll take them. We'll pay you cash for them. I mean, we had no money. We were in debt. Anyway, we eventually get these tackies and in one week we are able to take delivery and sell them for cash. And guess what? We made so much money. We paid all our debts, both companies, wiped out, and we had money left over. That's what happened when we looked to God. I'm just saying, that's, that, that's a real story that happened. And so I want to encourage you. When, when the Bible says, look to God, as Jehoshaphat did, this is as possible for you if you're in a situation as it was for us. It's just amazing. Should we read on? Let's, um, okay, I'll go, I'll go there. I, wasn't, I, I was thinking not to. Let's go to Exodus. We'll look at about, it's uh, chapter 10. I've just got to find the scripture. It's about um, Moses and Pharaoh. Um, Exodus 10. Okay, it's right at the, the end of Exodus 10 that we'll read. Okay, so there's all sorts of things going on between Moses and Pharaoh now. So let's see what happened. And let's see what uh, the result of this is. Okay, so there's been, there's been the curse of darkness. Okay, so, and we go to verse 24. It says, Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Let your little ones also go with you. Only your flocks and your, your herds must not go. And it, it's like compromising. We're often called to compromise when we're in situations or when we're facing difficulties. We know what the Word of God says. God has told Moses, you take everything and you go. And Moses is saying, no. He says, we're going to take the livestock with us. Look at verse 26. And Moses says, um, our livestock shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof left behind. For of them must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not what, what, what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord made Pharaoh's heart stronger and more stubborn. And he would not let them go. Now look here. This is the, the crunch. 28, verse 28, Exodus 10. Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. See that you never enter my presence again. For the day you see my face, you shall die. How's that? The day you see my face. So what is he saying? The day you look upon my face, you will die. And look what Moses says. He doesn't say, that's wrong, it's not going to happen. He says, Moses said, verse 29, You have spoken truly. I will never see your face again. And then let's just go over to Exodus 14. And let's just see the opportunity Moses had to gaze upon Pharaoh again. All right, so you've got the whole army of um, Pharaoh. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, Pharaoh and his, his captains back in Egypt, they decide, 
Israel's gone. We're going to chase them and get them back because they must come serve us again. Now we've let them all go. And these are the people that were building our, our buildings and uh, doing the work around the, the, the place. We're going to go and get them. It says, verse 6 of, of uh, Exodus 14, it says, Pharaoh made ready his chariots and took his army. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. Okay? It says, The Lord made hard and strong the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites. This is the whole army. This is not just a, a, you know, a few chariots that are chasing Israel. It's the whole army of Pharaoh, of Egypt. They were probably the most powerful nation in the world at that stage. And they're after Israel. And it says, uh, when, verse 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up and saw that the Egyptians are marching after them. And the Israelites were exceedingly frightened and cried out to the Lord. What did they look at? They looked at what was coming against them. What did they behold? The strength, the arms, the numbers. They thought, we haven't got a chance in hell in this place. These guys are going to wipe us out. Did they look to God? No, not like Jehoshaphat. He took Israel and he led them in looking to God. I'm saying, don't contemplate only what you see with your natural eyes. That's what Israelite did here. And fear gripped their hearts and they cried out. It says they cried to the Lord. Did Moses look at Pharaoh? No, he did not. It says, um, verse 13, so there the people are looking back at the Egyptian army. They're terrified. They're frightened. They're crying out. And Moses told the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall never see again. I don't believe that Moses turned to look at the, the Egyptians. He was looking to the Lord. And he was looking to God for the salvation of Israel. Right in that situation. Now this is a hairy situation. This is not a, um, just a story in the Bible kind of thing that uh, is... It, it's not tangible. This is tangible. This is a real thing that happened. The army was pressing down on Israel. And it was going to wipe them out or, or, and, and take most of them. Maybe it wipe out a, quite a few of them and then take the rest back in captivity. So the Lord says to Moses in verse 15, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea. So the Egyptians are behind Moses now. He's looking over the sea. And he lifts his rod and stretches out his hand over the sea. And, and we know what happened. The sea opened and Israel marched forward into that. Um, Again, it's worth reading the whole, the whole context. I mean, what a great victory. It says um, that evening, it says the cloud that was uh, with Israel moved between Israel and the fire, between Israel and between the Egyptians. The Egyptians couldn't come in the evening. And then the next morning, because the wind blew overnight after Moses had stretched his rod over the sea, opened the sea, 
Israel marched through. And then it says God was against the Egyptians. And as they tried to follow Israel, their chariot wheels were falling off. And there were all sorts of problems. And they, they really battled into the sea. But that sea, after it had opened for Israel and Israel went through, it closed, it destroyed the whole army of Pharaoh. Everything was wiped out. What do you see? I believe Moses never saw Israel and Pharaoh's face again. Pharaoh would have been there, shouting the odds, and Israel would have seen him, but Moses never saw him. He just looked to the Lord and he walked forward in the strategy that was given him. If we go to Numbers 23 verse 9. So I've got to find Numbers now. Here, I've got it. Okay, Numbers... No, I'm going to 21 actually. And if we look at verse, uh, verse 5, the people are in the wilderness now. It says, the people spoke against God and against Moses. You've brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. What are they complaining about? What is it that's getting them down? It's the tediousness. It's the difficulty. It's the, 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 they get the same food every day. It says here, uh, I'll read it, what it says. It said, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Verse 5. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, neither is there any water, and we loathe this contemptible, unsubstantial manner. <laughs> Can you imagine getting the same stuff day after day, year after year? Anyway, it says in verse 6, look here. The Lord sent fiery burning serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many died. I mean, this is a real thing now. We're in the wilderness. We're camping. We've got our families. We've got our children. We're getting on in life. And maybe we're doing things in life. And next minute, these things are just afflicting us. Serpents bind and biting and killing people. It says the Lord sent them. It's because of their disobedience. So it says in verse 7, The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Ask the Lord to take away the serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. God doesn't necessarily take away the serpents. He didn't in this case. He could easily have said, okay, serpents, go. You know, just like the frogs all disappeared in Egypt. They didn't. The serpents did not disappear. And it's where, where things are like getting at us and biting us as we're moving through life and getting on with life. Often... We can pray and say, oh God, we just pray that circumstances will change. We pray, Lord, that this opposition, you know, these difficulties we're having, they will go away. And God said, no, that's not going to happen. It says, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze, set it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Now that's like a different answer. That was God's strategy in, in the circumstance. So it says, Moses made a serpent and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked at the serpent, and it says in brackets in the Amplified here, attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. This is not just a casual glance. This is a full focus. And the thoughts, what are you thinking as you're looking at that serpent? You're saying, the Lord said, 
If we look at this serpent when we've been bitten, we shall live. Now, now can you imagine? You're you, you running around there and there's serpents crawling around. And next month, one's attached to your leg. And maybe, maybe there's two on your leg. So what are you doing? Are you looking down and saying, Yeah, I've been bitten. Help, help, someone. Yeah, pull that thing off me. Kill it. Get rid of it. Suck the poison out. Help me, help me. You know, etc. If you did that, guess what? You died. Oh, look, it's on our kids now. Ah, oh, what are we going to do? It's in the tent. Ah. What, did, what was the command? What did you have to look at? What did you have to see? The serpent on the pole. And you had to look at it attentively. That means if these other things are creeping around you, if one's attached to you, you're looking at the serpent on the pole. What do you look at? What do you see? So I'm saying it's important what we see. And let's just see how this ties in to, to, to us. Let's go to John 3 verse. We'll look at verse 14. John, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. See what it says here. John 3.14 says this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert on a pole, so it is necessary the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. What was coming from the serpent on the pole? Life and healing. Not so. Life, healing, wholeness. So it says, just as Moses lifted up that uh, serpent on the pole, it is necessary, it says in brackets here, the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross in order that everyone who believes in him, who cleaves to him, trusts in him, and relies on him may not perish, but have eternal life and live forever. So what is that speaking about? The Son of Man is lifted up on the cross so that we can have salvation. So what is salvation? You see, everyone thinks, oh yes, that we... Yeah, we, we won't go to hell, but we'll be saved out of our sin and, and we'll live you know, sin-free, which is true. That is one part of what salvation is. Salvation is about protection. It's about provision. It's, it's about the, the, the blessing of our worship of God. There's all this access to the throne of, 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 of God. And, and Hebrews 10.19, Amanda read it that we have access and we can come boldly to the throne of God. Salvation is about boldness, that God is in us, that we are new creations totally. And when we walk into a room, God's arrived in the room. So how, how do we look attentively at Christ on the cross? We learn and we meditate on the benefits that he's given us. We learn and we meditate on the good things God has prepared for those who love him. You know, it says we are God's workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, to walk in the paths he's prepared for us beforehand and to live the good life he's planned for us. What is the good life? Jesus tells us in John 10.10, 10, I've come. 
that you have life and have it in abundance. And he's not talking about life like we see it here. He's talking about Zoe life, which is God life. God life. That we can speak the word and things happen. That we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. That we can call into being things that don't exist. That is the life that we learn about in God. How? Because just as the Son of Man was lifted up on the cross, and just as we focus on that, and how do we focus on the Son of Man? By getting our fingers and getting our eyes and minds into the Word of God. And we take it, and we absorb it, and we speak it, and we live it. God is wanting that to become so real to us. Let's go to Ephesians 1, verse 17. Just in in the light of what, what we're saying now. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, it's the same thing that Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I want to know, I want to know, what is it he's given me? Who am I? Okay, this is what, Paul says this, because he's heard about the people's faith, the Ephesians, and he says, I always pray to the God of our Lord, verse 17, Ephesians 1, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Wow, I want to know, what are these secrets, what are these mysteries? And look what he says, verse 18. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you, and how rich is his glorious, glorious inheritance in the saints. How rich is his glorious inheritance? Do I know? I want to know. And the more you start digging around, I tell you what, I've been, I've been a Christian now, Many, many years. I don't know how long. Lost count. It's nearly 40 years, hey? Something like that. I'm as excited today as I was when I got saved. You never lack in enthusiasm. And if you've got to a place where you're stale, then I just say, no, it's because you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus, on on the pole, or on, on the cross. And that is life to you. This word is life. You know, in John 6.63, Jesus says, The word I speak is spirit and life. And you've got to get to where you start looking at this word as spirit and life. Just change your, your thinking. What is the word? Is it just a, 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 you know, words written on a page that I've got to read? Yes, I know I've got to read, and I read it, and I read it. And it's life to me. Like I look at this, and I think, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him by having the eyes of my heart flooded with light. How do you get your heart flooded with light? The entrance, Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the entrance of the word brings light. Put the word of God in your heart and your heart will be flooded with light. Now this is not something we can understand with our intellect. This is a spiritual truth and it works spiritually. 
And then what happens is literally the spirit of wisdom and revelation gets hold of you. And where it says, um, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, it's speaking. Another translation for heart is your imagination. That we've actually got sanctified, heavenly imagination. I can say to you as you sit here, hmm, I saw a pink dog with uh, blue spots outside. Now you can imagine that. I've given you some information. You can imagine a pink dog with blue spots. Maybe some will see a big one, maybe some a small one, because there's not specific uh, added information. But you can see it. That is your natural imagination. Now, how does our heavenly imagination work? Because the information, the revelation that God gives us gets into our heart and it can get into our mind. And that's why Jesus in John 5.19 says, I see nothing lest I see the Father doing it. How's it working? It's working through his heavenly imagination. That's what I imagine I see. How does that, that work in me? So like if I'm praying for people or, or um, ministering to people, um, I look at them and I say, Lord, now I'm imagining. I'm just using that heavenly imagination. Thank you that you guide. You know, it says that we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16. What are we talking about? Are we talking about a union? we one spirit with him. And we need to know this by, that's part of studying the word. Paul writes in Galatians 2 verse 20, he says, I'm crucified in Christ, yet I live. But not I, it's Christ in me who lives. And the life I live in the flesh, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're that close to God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, if you join yourself to the Lord, you're one spirit with him. We need to think on these things because what they're doing, the power in those words is released in us. And now we're starting to realize, hey, it's Christ in me who lives. In him I live and move and have my being. It's Christ in me. It's the word of God in me giving me information. Revelation is the word it uses here. And so I'm able to imagine in my sanctified imagination. I am now moving into that place where I'm accessing the mind of Christ. And so when I say I'm praying for so-and-so, often I see what looks like x-rays. That's just the way God works the gifting in me. So if I'm going to lay hands on someone, I look to see, and I, I look to see if there's problems in their body. I see black. And then I see white. Or if there's a problem in their mind, then I know they're not renewing their minds or they've been getting wrong information. Or if I see a, a darkness in their hearts, I mean, you can see people are not born again. And it's discerning of spirits. Because where there's black, it's the thief who comes to rob, steal, and destroy. He's the prince of darkness. You see it in your heavenly imagination. And it's just been amazing. I mean, just an example. Uh, we, had, we were busy doing a, a, a prayer conference, and we were talking about praying in the Spirit. 
And then there were people that asked for prayer after we'd done some ministry uh, in prayer. And um, so two, two women came up to me, and the one came up, and so I just closed my eyes, and I just saw this. It looked like a huge sponge, sort of the size of a sponge that you wash cars with on the top of her head. I just saw this dark patch there. And I said, huh, do you get migraines? She says, oh, continually. Because what does the devil do? He comes to torment. He comes to afflict. And what had happened to this woman, I found it afterwards. We prayed for that thing, it left, and the migraines left. And then um, we heard, uh, probably about a week later, that she said, oh, I've changed. And she was a young girl, and her mom and dad got divorced. And the new man that arrived, for some reason, decided he didn't like her. And he used to torment her and he would say to her things like, ah, you're a waste of breath and horrible, horrible. Anyway, she grew up. She went from hurt to resentment to hate. And she, and, and she told uh, the story that she used to think, how could she kill this man? How could she get rid of him? And so hate entered into her because of what she was hearing. And with it came the physical affliction. And when we cast that thing out, and I was looking in terms of the migraines, that spirit of hate that had gripped her heart left. And she, she said, within a week, she says, I'm different. I don't think those thoughts anymore. That's through heavenly imagination. Full deliverance. And there was no great manifestation other than that she said, no, she's definitely feeling better from the, the, the migraines. She was under attack. She was medicated when I was speaking to her. So, people, this applies to every one of you. You can do this. Just look to the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Say, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, I want revelation. I want understanding. I want the benefit of you on the cross, just as the men in the wilderness uh, got the benefit of that brazen... uh, snake on the pole it was life life look to see look to see and you know the more you read the word you start understanding wow i've got the i mean look here for instance verse five of chapter two i'm on page on the same page it says here even when we were dead slain by our shortcomings and trespasses he made us alive in fellowship and in union with Christ. And in the Amplified it says, He gave us the same new life of Christ Himself, the same life with which He quickened Him. So the resurrection life in Jesus Christ is in us. Do we feel it? Not necessarily. Maybe we've never seen it. Maybe we don't think we've ever experienced it. But as we look to Christ... Revelation starts coming. Look what else it says here. Um, I'm back in Ephesians 1, verse 19 now. So he's saying, okay, verse 18, have the, the eyes of your heart flooded with light because you're looking to Christ. You're not looking at what's happening around you. You're looking to Christ. And he will deal with the situation and give you the strategy. All right, so verse 19 says, Okay, why do you want the spirit of wisdom and revelation? It says, so you can know and understand the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us 
who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What is the word saying? The word saying, resurrection power is in each one of us. Do we feel it? Maybe not. Maybe sometimes we do. Maybe some do, some don't. I don't know. But it doesn't matter what you feel. It's what the Word says. The Word says we are now contemplating, fixing our eyes on the benefit of the cross. And the Word says, because you, this new people, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation altogether. This is what is in in you. The mighty power of God. Okay, let me... How long have I got, Alan? Can I go a little bit more? What? Okay. I've just got to watch time because I just get into this and before I know it, hours go. <laughs> Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to look at verse 16. That's the main one I want. Because I'm speaking to you about what do you see. Not so? What do you see? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. Okay, so in the previous verses, Paul's just spoken about if one died, then all have died. And that we are to live uh, for Christ. Okay, so verse 16 says, Because he died for all, I'll read verse 15. Because he died for all, so that all those who might live no longer live two and two and for themselves, but two and for him who died and was raised for their sake. Right, look at verse 16 now. It says, From now on, we estimate... And regard no one from a merely human point of view. Natural standards. No one. That includes yourself. I am no one. When I think in terms of natural standards. So he says we consider no one from natural human viewpoint. So in other words you shouldn't be thinking oh, well, I'm just by myself and I don't have many resources and, you know, what can I do? This, this seems so overwhelming. And, you know, to bring change in society or our town, ah, uh, we can't do it. What are you doing then? You are looking at yourself as a non-entity, as a non-powerful, as a non-significant person. In Christ Jesus, every single one is significant. In Christ Jesus, the greater one dwells in us. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, greater is he in me than he that is in the world. We have to see as God sees us. And you have to see in terms of whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing day to day, do it in the name of Jesus. You don't See yourself as nobody. See yourself as all things are possible. Jesus said in Matthew 17, Whosoever believes in me, to him all things are possible. All things are possible to you. You are filled with the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You have the name. You have that title deed is yours. The name of Christ is given us. We are seated 
in the Godhead, in Christ Jesus. We are in the very executive of heaven and earth. And, and it says in 1 John 4 verse 17, As he is, so are we in this world. So we've shifted hopefully some viewpoints. Is that right? And it's 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 speaks about looking in, this is what we have to do. It says, the Lord is the Spirit, verse 17, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Verse 18, all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, we're looking in on these things, like they had to look attentively, and they had to fix their focus on the snake on the pole, the brazen snake, and God showed us the picture, they would live, they would receive life. It's saying here, with, un, with unveiled face, we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image. What is happening? God, as we read the word, the word is living, active, powerful. It's working in us. Fix your eyes. The word of God is Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him. And you will go from glory to glory to glory. Amen. So that's my challenge. In the face of all the things that we hear and see in the world. Focus on the right things. Focus on the only right thing really which is. Jesus. Okay, so if, if you're not doing that, if you're panicking, just repent right now. You just change your thinking. Say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm doing this. That's what the Word of God says. Thanks, Alan.